RadioInfluence.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Live Bold and Boss Up. Today we have a special guest. I want to introduce you to him. He is an entrepreneur and CEO of Afford It, which is established in January of 2018. And if you don't know anything about Afford It yet, you will know about it and love it. Um, Our guest is completely disrupting the banking industry by creating visibility, transparency, and engagement throughout the loan process. Um, Afford It is a B2B fintech credit optimization company. So just to give you a little context around this entrepreneur's brilliant mind, let me share with you that he has a couple master's degrees, one in business administration, the other in finance, both from University of Tampa, as well as his bachelor's degree in finance and international business from the University of South Florida, Go Bulls. Then if that wasn't enough, they're of a challenge, right? He completed his um, Chinese language program through the student exchange program uh, he intended at the Oceans University in Beijing and Shanghai, right? There's two. There's two. And, um, you know, just very impressive. I wanted to share that with you just to get some context behind that. Um, at, he worked at My Matrix Healthcare and Johnson & Johnson, really on the global financial realm. Um, and it was while he was at J&J, he discovered this pain point. And I'll let him share the story. But welcome to our podcast, Kevin O'Brien, the CEO of Afford It. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Kevin, for being here. I love your passion. Tell us the story of how you got here. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's um, it's really interesting. So um, as Ashley was saying, I was at Johnson & Johnson thinking everything was going according to plan in my life. Um, newly married at the time, had a great job, wanted to work my way up the corporate ladder and become a CFO at some point. So I wasn't too far away from that at Johnson & Johnson. I thought that was the career path I was gonna, going to go in. It wasn't until my wife and I um, wanted to apply for our first mortgage so we were here in Tampa and um, working with a credit union that we've banked with for many years and uh, went through the whole application process and we were simply denied for the mortgage. And I couldn't figure out why because we had great credit, good down payment. We thought we had all the boxes kind of checked that somebody would normally have to uh, you know, uh, jump through per se to, to get that mortgage. And um, we weren't denied for any of those reasons. But once I spoke to the underwriter, he explained that our debt to income ratio was out of whack. And it wasn't because of credit cards or other you know, things that maybe some people might fall into. But it was because I went to school, as you said, for seven years, I paid for it myself. I was the first person in my family to graduate high school, no mind college. So there was no finances for me to go through. And um, so I paid for it all myself to get my degrees. And I've always made all my student loan payments on time. So it didn't make sense to me, right, on why I was being denied for this when I've, I can make the payments, we could make that mortgage payment. And the underwriter said, well, it's a simple black and white, yes or no, you're approved or you're denied. And I said, I'm not going to take that, right? So I said, my background's in finance, mathematics. I don't understand banking. So is there a way you can help me kind of understand how the underwriting process works? And thankfully, I had some friends in the industry as well. And I was able to figure out from start to finish um, how the uh, process works for lending. And as soon as I saw that process, I saw a massive gap and a massive opportunity 
where I was able to actually go home, create an algorithm that looked at my wife and I's uh, debt to income ratio and our liabilities. And I was able to get us approved within three days of being denied. Wow. I went back to that underwriter and he goes, yeah, if you do these solutions that you just came up with, we could get you approved. Here's your pre-approval letter. And I said, wow. So in three days, I was able to create this, figure out a plan to move forward. And um, I was like, how many other people fall into this trap and come to find out there's a lot. So I uh, decided to quit Johnson Johnson and I started to afford it to help people create that transparency and visibility in the lending process, like you said. But also, you know, it's a it creates a much more bigger picture conversation on how we're kind of creating a what we call a win-win-win scenario. I'll talk more about that. I love that story. And I love that you didn't take no for an answer and that you pushed back and you fought and you came up with a solution. I just think that's so inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. It's brave of you, right? To leave, like you said, Johnson and Johnson, you have your career path, your career path mapped out for you. Mm -hmm. You just have to do X, Y, Z. You can just move up the ladder and you gave that all up because you saw like the the bigger picture, right? It was a bigger picture that no one else looked at really in, in the lending process and banking process. And I said, I have to do something about this. I saw how upsetting it was for my wife, Jessica, who could not believe how we were you know, being denied for this. It didn't make any sense. And I thought to myself, how many other people have this problem and just fall to the wayside and they continue to rent or they don't get qualified for that vehicle that they need to get to work in or other, you know, important products that maybe we take for granted every day. So I said, you know what, there's, there's something bigger out there and this is it. And, um, took a leap of faith on that and, uh, took all of our own capital and invested in day one and, uh, got this company off the ground. Tell us about the need, right? Tell us about more about this solution that you created, right? How is it a win for you, right? Afforded, of course, right? A win for the banks, but then a win for the consumer. Share a little bit more about what it is and how it helps. One of the best things here with what we've created, this algorithm that is now blown into an entire platform that's used in this lending process for banks and credit unions, is we are not replacing any software. So we don't have to fight other companies, um, or get on these massive project backlogs. But what we've really done for the institutions is we've created the win-win-win scenario, as you mentioned. So the first win, sure, afford it, wins, because we have a contract directly with the um, financial institution. But also, it's that win for, most importantly, the applicant, right? So the applicant is winning because they're optimizing their debt. They're paying less every month. They're finding better products that fit their needs in a way that has never been looked at before. And then, sure, it's a win for the uh, bank or credit union because they get additional loan products for that applicant that they otherwise won't get. So they make interest income off that as well. So everyone wins in this process. And that's one of the reasons we've been so successful so quickly is um, everyone sees that value statement. When we were at lunch, we were talking about this, you know, obviously in a more casual environment, but you were saying that the algorithm kind of spits out, if you will, this like solution, right, to the banking person on on what that person, that consumer needs to do to increase their odds of, you know, getting an acceptance. Um, can you share what's on that form and what sure. the consumer sees? Because I think that's really interesting. 
Yeah. One of the things I saw when I learned this process was not just um, some of the backwards thinking, I'll say, that was occurring, but also how difficult it was for the applicant to understand what truly was going on in their debt profile, how to read a credit report, right? How to just understand the basics that are being evaluated. There was really no guide to that. So we created something called a solution-based outcome report. And this report is what our algorithm produces essentially. And that's where our proprietary technology lies is in the algorithm. But this report looks at hundreds of thousands of different scenarios that you might be able to fit into and says, okay, what are the best solutions mean for the applicant? What is best for that person? And how can they change from the products that they're in to these potential new products? And it's a very simple, step-by-step, easy-to-read report that no one else has ever created before. Right. And you were saying that even even the maybe entry-level or mid-level banking person coming in can be a strategic piece in the banking you know, solution, right? And being able to recommend all these solutions to the, the customer really easily. So, yeah, it helps them... Um, you know, just, just give that extra, you know, piece to the consumer, right? That So what essentially, actually you're a hundred percent right. But what it, what we really say does and what, we, what we've seen now that it's doing in the marketplace is it's turning that day one banker into a, a veteran banker overnight. So this skill set to understand how to optimize somebody's debt profile and like increase, you know, their uh, financial wellness um, and decrease the amount of debt that they pay every month. That's a skill that takes many years for a banker to learn. And we're essentially saying, here you go. Day two of your banking career, you can be that expert. Thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to say. That was perfect. Thank you. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. That's one of the great things um, that we created inadvertently, really. We, We didn't realize that this tool was going to be used in such um, a huge market, right? So that market opportunity is massive because we're not looking at people that are just denied. We're looking at everyone. So whether or not you're easily approved and you have minimal debt or you have a lot of debt and it might be tough to get approved, this algorithm is being run on your profile at the point of sale. So at the time that you're applying. So even if you're approved, there still might be other options out there that can get you into a better financial position in life that you didn't even know about or your banker didn't know about. Right. And that's what we're doing. Because you're in some banks right now, right? So can you share maybe the size of the bank since Mm -hmm. you can't maybe say specifically which banks Mm -hmm. have this? Yeah. So great question, Ashley. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So we are um, integrating into multiple financial institutions across the country and we're already live with a few of them right now. And what we're seeing is that there's really good opportunities for these applicants at these mid-level to larger size financial institutions and credit unions. So between the two to five or even $8 billion range of assets under management, those are kind of our sweet spot right now that we're going after to show this technology to and explain how it works. Um, so, yep. So Afforda is based here in Tampa, correct? That's correct. Why Tampa? Yeah, so I've always called Tampa my home um, growing up here and um, just watching the Tampa skyline change recently with everything Jeff Finnick is doing and all the capital that's coming into this area. It's amazing to see the growth and opportunity. And I said, I want to be a part of that. How can I contribute what we are doing at Afforda 
to the the bigger picture of what Tampa is trying to become, which is really the next landmark city in the country, right? Um, so I had an option to be able to move this company out of the state to some of the uh, larger hubs, so to say, um, across the country. And I decided to not do that and create job opportunities here in Tampa and help to create an ecosystem. And what I mean by that is there's so many amazing students that are finishing their degrees at the University of Tampa or the University of South Florida. And they're coming out and they're not finding an opportunity. So they're leaving the state to go back to where they came from or to find that job somewhere else. And I said, let's keep those students here. Let's you know, offer them great pay, great benefits, and an amazing company to work at. And by doing that, we've created now um, 20, 22 jobs here in Tampa um, over just the last nine months. Wow. So, and those people weren't all from Tampa. We actually are getting people now to relocate from all across the country to live here and bring their families here. So it's creating a lot of downstream effects with just jobs, but also taxes, additional income, their students are going to our schools. So uh, a lot of people are being affected by the decisions that we're making now at Afford It. That's great. Where do you see Afford It in 24 months from now? Oh, that is the billion dollar question right now. So um, given the growth that we're going at right now, we want to continue to scale here in Tampa, create as many opportunities as possible, and to try and get into all of the financial institutions um, that we're working with or working on right now. So I would say within 24 months, if we can be into about 5,000 financial institutions across the country, um, that would be terrific. Let's back up a little bit to um, something I mentioned in the in the intro, studying in Beijing. Tell us about why you decided to speak one or learn to speak one of the most arguably hardest right languages um, tell us about that. It, it honestly came down to, I, I wanted to try and separate myself um, from the rest of the people graduating with a finance degree, right? So not having any kind of guidance growing up on my education path or what um, employers really want to see. And that's one of the things I'm trying to change is to create that visibility between students that are you know, going into college or coming out of college and what we are looking for as a growth company here, because that's not always translated clearly to the student. At the time, USF, I, I didn't really know what these larger companies wanted to see. So I said, how do I market myself in a bigger light, right? What can I do to separate myself? And um, I talked to one of the advisors and they said, well, learn language. I was like, okay, what language? And they said, well, pick one of the hardest ones. And I said, okay, which one's that? And they're like, <laughs> Chinese or Arabic, right? And um, I just, I had it a great opportunity to learn under one of the best professors um, in, in the country um, in the Chinese linguistics program at USF and uh, took advantage of that. And through that degree, um, we had the opportunity to travel multiple times to China and uh, study at a couple different universities. So it was a terrific, uh, terrific, um, yeah, opportunity wow. that I had. Can you share maybe some some words with us? Sure. The, the most simple one is just uh, ni hao, which is ni just, hao. yeah, hello. hello. And uh, she she, which is uh, like, thank you. She she. Yeah. I can my, do that. Yeah, my okay. Chinese name's um, Ouyang Zhang Wen, which is just, um, yeah, loose translation. Uh, your name isn't translated directly over, so it's not like Kevin or anything like that. They they have symbolism and like meaning behind those names, which oh, are kind of cool. given to you um, by 
uh, it was by my professor, my name was given to me. So. I love that. Yeah. I love that you were like, what is the hardest language? And mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. <laughs> and it, 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 honestly, I just thought it was amazing to go to China and see, you know, the, the culture and taste the food and, and really live in another country. A lot of people love that, what they call the honeymoon kind of uh, time, which is when you go to a country for like two months or two weeks and you're like, oh, this is great, right? Uh, But you don't really get to experience the real culture until like you're there for months at a time. So being there like that and living there day in and day out and going to Chinese universities that only speak Chinese, right? There's no English speaking people or anything like that. I just, I thought that was really great and it was extremely difficult, I have to say, but um, it just, it it taught me that no matter what, you can do something in life, right? I I, I didn't know one word of any other language when I started this program and, uh, you know, through perseverance and determination, I was able to do that. And that's exactly what I brought into afford it, right? Is we can do something that no one else is doing. Mm -hmm. Why, Why should the past stop us? Right. Exactly. Love that. So obviously when starting a company, there's a lot that goes into creating it. Um, You know, obviously fundraising and cost has a a major piece of it. So tell us your fundraising story and how it's different than most companies out there. That's a great question because um, one of the things a lot of entrepreneurs don't really account for is how do you raise capital? How much capital do you need? And, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you achieve that in the timeline that you need that capital by, right? How do you kind of uh, forecast that? And again, I, I never planned to start a business. I never took an entrepreneur class in college. Um, I didn't really even know that many entrepreneurs to tell you the truth. Um, so I, put all my own capital, like I mentioned, we put our 401k in this company, all my savings, I sold my vehicle, you name it, I did it to sacrifice getting this company off the ground. And one of the biggest things that most entrepreneurs don't realize is you need two to three times the amount of capital you think you're going to need to get a company off the ground successfully and really taking off. So I had no idea how to raise capital or where to even start. So I started talking to just my small network of people and realized that there was two avenues you could go. You could take venture capital money that potentially if I could get my foot in the door would be good, but there's strings attached to taking that capital a lot of times. Or you could go and try and raise the money yourself. Like, well, what does that really look like? How do I do that? Because again, no experience. So through my network, that a small network of people I was starting to create at the time of starting Affordit, I realized that there was a way to go And if I could strategically pick out individuals, I could go to them if I had the right legal documents and and solicit them and say, hey, number one, yes, I need capital. But number two, I want strategic partnerships and strategic people in my corner that will do more than just add capital, but will add value intrinsically to, to the company. So every time I met one person, I would always ask them, do you know someone else? Who else would you refer If you're going to invest, great. Or if you're not, why? And who else could I talk to that might add this value? By simply asking those questions, I got a small network of three or four people, created a network of four to 500 people that I was able to communicate with and got a lot of great investors out of that that oversubscribed our first round. Um, And, you know, I was able to raise that money essentially on my terms, which 
a lot of entrepreneurs never get to do, and they give up way too much equity in the beginning, or they don't know how to value the company correctly. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but by doing it myself and creating this, my own, essentially my own fund, I uh, was able to, to raise this capital quickly and effectively. And those people are all now in my corner as advisors, and um, they'll always pick the phone up when I need them. You want to grow, right? And you, you want to grow in control, right? We were talking about that over lunch. Tell me a little bit about that. Explain that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, every entrepreneur, I think, will tell you that, of course, they want to grow their company 10x every year right. and they want to hire a thousand people or this or that. But understanding what goes into your business plan and understanding how to grow your company smart is a whole different you know, can of worms essentially. So a few of the things we're trying to do is really control what that growth looks like. And what I mean by that is figuring out, okay, where can we be in five years if we grow at this rate? Where can we be at five years if we grow at that rate? And a lot of if then, then this kind of scenario testing to figure out how much capital do we need? What is the current value of our company and how will growing at 3% or 5% extra every year affect that number? And by controlling the growth every year, it's allowing us to really put together a great projection on where we think we will be in five years now, right? You don't know what's going to happen in the economy or you know other things of that nature, but having a great group of advisors and other people that are way smarter than me in the room allow us to kind of forecast all these different scenarios, to your point. And that's super important. And I... It's so impressive that, so Afford It started in 2018. 18, yeah, so, yep. And you already have 23 employees? Yes. 23 employees, you have the mayor behind you, a lot of great investors and a great team behind you, and your fundraising story is just very impressive, and, you know, a great evaluation and very successful company already and oh, it's you. only been two years that's two and it years. yeah some, some days it feels like 20 years <laughs> but sure yeah i look forward to seeing this company grow you know over time it's exciting yeah oh, thank you no i appreciate it we're excited to see where this goes right so we're in a opportunity that no one else has ever really uh, kind of got into on the side of the banking um, market. And, you know, there's a huge opportunity and we're figuring out how we capitalize on it the quickest, but most effectively. And by helping as many people as we can with their financial wellness. If we do that, we're going to be successful no matter what. Great. So we always have our rapid fire questions at the end, right? And yep. one of them that I had for you was, you know, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? But I mm-hmm. already feel like you have a superpower. Yes. It's <laughs> learning whatever you want to learn. <laughs> you can yeah. pick it up it's like that. One. Yeah. And that. But that's a superpower that, you know, everyone has, right? I, I, I really, I, I hold to that statement because, uh, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. And I, and I really think that if you asked anyone that works at Afford It Now, you know, what one of the biggest things are that they could learn by working there is just that we push the boundaries every day on both technology, mathematics, you know, from the finance point of view. And, and that's something great that a lot of people never get the opportunity to push those boundaries because their constraints are by their manager or by the company. And um, yeah, that, I think that's what uh, helps us attract really great people from Fortune 500 companies are coming to work for us now. That is so key because that is exactly why Steph and I created this podcast was to keep pushing the boundaries, keep learning, keep growing, you know, doing more, doing better. 
just improving yourself all around. So I love that. That's a perfect statement. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's what we uh, talk about every day at the office. So, so if you went a few sentences or less or okay. a couple words. Sure. I'll go with the first one. How do you think your employees would describe you in three words? In three words, um, they would say I'm fair. So um, I always look at all sides of a question or issue. Very ambitious. So um, as I mentioned earlier, just really pushing the boundaries of what we can do, how many customers we can integrate with, I think are all things that, uh, you know, a lot of companies just don't really have for, for management, right? But, you know, also I would say uh, they kind of call I me mean, a lot of times the, the fearless leader um, at the office because going into an industry that I didn't know anything about and, um, you know, really bringing to market a tool that no one else has ever seen before can be really scary, right? And a lot of people that come to work here, they're like, how are we doing this? How are you doing this? Trying to really figure out like what gaps did all these other companies miss in history that we are capitalizing on now. And once they kind of understand the strategic plan and see how we're operating as a company, they get it. But I would say those are the three things. Yeah. Great. Okay. So I have a lot of questions for you. I'd be like trying to pick out the best ones here. I guess one of my questions is, you know, you probably had certain people you admired pre going, you know, getting both masters, studying Chinese and creating afford it. But now, now that you've done all that and you've seen those possibilities, I'm assuming you're the people you admire maybe have changed. Have they, who do you admire now? Who do you look up to once you've accomplished all of that? I think it's really important for any entrepreneur or anyone that wants to become successful at really anything in life. You have to have mentors and you have to have people that you can look up to. But what I, more importantly, people that you can look up to that you can talk to, right? A lot of times there's famous people that people admire, but those people, you can't just call up Warren Buffett and ask him for advice, right? So um, I go back to the people that are in my corner um, that believed in me day one or even before day one. And what I mean by that is people that invested their time before I started trying to raise capital in me and what we were doing. So the one person that really comes to mind then is uh, George, George McGordy. George has been a believer in what I wanted to do in this banking space since the first time I met him, which was just me working by myself before raising capital and before hiring people and having you know, even having a completed product, he saw the vision and saw what I was doing because he knew this space really well. And I would say, um, you know, he somebody I call on constantly and I meet with a couple times a month and helps me out. So George, I would say, is one of, my, one of the people that really believes in me the most. I love it. Make sure that the people you admire are the ones that you can call, right? Yep. And connect 100%. with. 100%. Yep. Instead mm-hmm. of just someone up in the stars that you you know of, you can read their bio, but you can't talk to them. There you go. Like because that. one of the things, you know, I've realized is everything that's out there online is controlled. It's put out there for a reason on someone's bio, where if you can get people that you can call one-on-one and talk, you know, kind of offline about certain things, those are the people that add so much value to your character and to the core of who you are and what you're trying to create. So you have a lot of successes. There's a long list of them. Is there something that you've failed at that got to where you are, help you get to where you are today? Or what's your biggest failure and how did you learn from it? 
Yeah, I, I think if anyone ever said they didn't have a lot of failures with success, uh, I don't think they'd be telling the truth, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's so, so many ones. But uh, uh, just one recent one was how we were going to market with our product, how we were actually going to go from what we were building to how we were going to sell it. Um, I had one thought of going from, you know, institution to institution, but realizing afterwards that that process was incorrect because it was really slow and uh, we didn't have a way to, to distribute the product out really quick to a large large number of institutions but again one of my mentors was able to kind of help coach me on how that was wrong going you know to market one bank at a time versus going at one large time with a big scale of releases and um, you know luckily we were able to capture that correct it and uh, fixed it before it went to release and um yeah, that, that was just one of the large mistakes I made recently. What are your next big plans? Anything coming up that you have planned out? So in the realm of the company, I would say, you know, our, our next big thing is we, we do have some some things coming up that you'll see a lot more about very soon on the application standpoint. Um, and also some large announcements about financial institutions that we're going to be partnering with. And um there's going to be a lot more from from the company standpoint coming out. Um, for me personally, it's to continue to grow this job and create as many opportunities for people that want them as possible here in Tampa. So that's that's one thing I'm really focused on. Do you have a bucket list? I do. I do. Um, so my, my wife says my bucket list, I, I can have kind of two of them. I can have one after she dies, and I'll explain what that is, <laughs> and one that we can do things together on. So <laughs> I love extreme sports. One of the things I can't do now, um, obviously, as being a CEO of a company is do as many extreme sport activities as I used to do. Your insurance. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If they're listening. Um, so there's a lot of constraints <laughs> on what I'm able to do now, um, given given uh, life insurance and health insurance stuff. But um, I would say, you know, one of the big things is um, on the bucket list is uh, to climb Mount Everest. Really want to cool. really do that. But I can only do that if my wife's not around. <laughs> She, uh, she won't let me do that. It's a little dangerous. Um, but you know, some other, one other thing I really want to do is I've always wanted to go and watch the tour de France, um, Mm -hmm. and and follow the tour for all, you know, 21 stages. Thought that would be great to do one year. Um, so hopefully I can do that sooner than later. Are there some extreme things that you've done already? Yes. Um, we used to always go skydiving on my birthday every year and we'd go throughout the year as well. So, uh, does your yeah. wife do that too? No, she does not. So I, I was doing that up until I met her yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, that, that was really fun. It was just something, uh, a great friend of mine, Brett, um, always wanted to do. So we grew up together and our birthdays were pretty close. So, uh, we started doing that every year and then it turned into a couple times a year and just kind of more of a, a hobby, but extreme sport at the same time. Nice. Wow. So did you get enough hours so you can jump I, yes, by yourself? by myself. Wow. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was a lot, we had a great time doing it. I grew up like racing dirt bikes and motocross. So I always liked speed, fast sports, stuff like that. So yeah, I'll say that th- those are some of the uh, bucket list items that, yeah, I like hopefully that. I can do one year. That, something new about that was today. a great question. Yeah. I know. Cause mm-hmm. I did not know that about you. Yeah. That's really cool. Today is, is a little bit different setup because we're in this really cool spot, uh, lot 1901 in Ebor. Super cool, um, very eclectic spot. I love it. And so thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. 
Awesome. Really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, no, this is great. Also, thank you so much to Next Path Career Partners for you know just being here and supporting us. Yeah, such a great day today. We love talking to you, Kevin. And until next time, live bold and boss up. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.